On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, certified financial planner, certified investment management analyst, and co-founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. Brent, how are you? Doing pretty good. It's Tuesday. Uh, Memorial Day weekend is done, so ready to start a new week here. How about yourself? Yeah, it was a great weekend. Um, went to a small service, and uh, it was just beautiful. It was it was nice, and and got to to meet some pretty amazing folks in that. Um, but yeah, ready to get back to work and and get going. And I know that you've got a guest on the show. You always bring on amazing guests. Who'd you bring on today? And what are you guys talking about? I do. I've got Rylas Dana on. He's a second generation estate planning attorney here in Arizona, and really wanted to have this conversation because co- questions I'm getting from clients lately a lot to do with AI. Uh, that's for sure. A lot to do with securing digital assets and also getting a lot of questions from clients that might be new to the state of Arizona because Arizona, I think we're in the fastest growing metropolitan area in the entire country. And particularly you know, in Arizona, we've got a lot of people moving into the valley, uh, which is a little different. We're community property states. So there's a lot of specific rules around that. But um, I really want to bring Rylas in because you know, as listeners to the show know, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, Rylas is as well. He's made a, n- a number of different posts lately about AI and the impact it has on estate planning. Digital assets, obviously a big focus for him as well. And he's, I guess, leading his group is what he calls next generation estate planning. And I want to look, talk a little bit more about that concept as well. So Rylas, hopefully I gave you a decent introduction, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself to get started? That's great. Thank, thanks for having me. Um, really excited to talk about AI, kind of nerd out, talk about those things. Um, glad that caught your interest. Um, I think that's a great intro. Second generation estate planning attorney. So I'm, 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 I just turned 42 and I feel like my age, I don't know how you are, Brent. I think you're pretty close, but um, 49, we, 50 in a couple of weeks. We remember life before the internet though, I think is significant. So I'm of the generation where I, I remember life before the internet, but yet I've always kind of grown up with it. Like it got popular while I was in college. So the first struggle, I, I say struggle, like in, in my legal career, when I first started, attorneys were first dealing with the internet, you know, in the, in the early 2000s. Internet was new on the scene. Attorneys were worried about legal Zoom was going to take their job, all those things. And I feel like AI is a lot of the same conversation as well. So and 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 so particularly, I, you bring up a great point there. I think that you know I mentioned I'll be four, I'll be fifty actually in a few weeks now, and our generation is definitely unique because you had obviously those that came before us. All this stuff came at sort of the middle or the tail end of their careers, and and the the young people that are coming up right now, they were essentially born with it. They don't know what life was like without having all this information at your fingertips. Um, and we're unique in the, in the sense that we didn't have this when we were younger. In my case, I didn't have an email account until I went to college, which is hard to believe. I didn't have a Yahoo account until I was actually out of college and working at that point. The cell phone, I was working you know, for a couple of years at that point. So give me an idea in terms of from an estate planning perspective, how now having access to all this information, how um, you, you know, given all the, the tools that are available now to anybody, to everyone, how is that? changed your roles in a state planning attorney? 
Yeah, I, I feel like there's there's what I call old school attorneys or, or the old way. You know, before the internet, attorneys didn't have to be good, right? You were kind of the public was kind of forced to go to them for answers. You know, they they couldn't look up on Google easily and, and see how things worked. So I feel like that old generation of attorneys was kind of lazy. They were used to just making a lot of money if you're doing very little. And in, in my career, I um I've catered more towards, you know, the, you know, the younger type of consumers who demand good service and want to be, um, you want to know what's going on. So one of my core values is empowerment. And I call, you know, that's like the opposite of that old way in that I'm trying to, to educate my clients and, and teach them and let them choose what they want as opposed to trying to scare them and, and using fear and forcing them to come to me. I think you bring up a great point there. It's 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 been a complaint that that I've had about my own industry pretty much since I've been involved in it is what we're doing at least in my office probably a little bit more of a secret alchemy in your office but it's not rocket science. You know, and I think that that the goal is is obviously to guide people through that process, arm them with the information, the tools they need to make good decisions themselves. But to your point, you know, most people that by the time they get to either working with you or me, they're pretty intelligent people. They've been pretty successful with their lives overall, and they can do a lot of this stuff. What they're looking for is someone to just maybe sift through what's given the volume of information we had, sift through what's important and, and make some sense of it. But you bring up an interesting point. So you're you're targeting a demographic that's that's say in our demographic, you want to call us uh, Gen Xers or, or maybe even a little bit younger than that or slightly older from from the clients that you're working with particularly around some of these digital assets, what is the difference in terms of their level of knowledge, say someone 75, 80 years old versus someone say 40 or 45 years old? Yeah, so Arizona passed in 2016, that's called the Revised Uniform Fiduciary Access to Digital Asset Act. It's a mouthful, UFADA. So I've, I've been interested in this since then. And, and here's the problem that we're solving. You know, this even affects, you know, the, the 75 year old or, or, or older clients, but it's as simple as information. It used to be more on paper, right? Like bank right. statements and just in general, things were on paper. And then the shift in the last 20 years, we've gone more digital. And what I realized early in my career, so again, this was even before law school, I was working at my dad's firm 2002 and someone called and they said, Hey, my parents passed away. I found this 20 year old binder, but there's no financial information in here. You know, how do I figure out where they're, you know, where they're banking at and what they own? So the first time I got that call, I was like, man, good, good question. Let me go see. You know, I was a young college kid. So I went to the attorneys and paralegals and, and let me ask you, you, you probably get this too, Brent, but um, in your case, your client, you, you probably know your client's information or, or things like that. But what do you think someone would do in that situation? In terms of if, for the child's case, if a parent had passed away, yeah, you know, it depends. And that's a real struggle because, and sometimes justifiably so many parents may not want to have that discussion with their kids. They may not want the kids to know what is out there. But I, but to your point, it can be one heck of a mess when people pass away and there isn't a clear roadmap in place in terms of what to do, or even like you said, how to access this information. Because sometimes I've got, I don't know, dozens and dozens and dozens of, of different online you know, accounts that I access, as, as I'm sure you do as well. You know, there are some times where you get hiccups getting into your own stuff, <laughs> in particular using password managers and protectors and all that. 
let alone if you are trying to to put things together with a parent. So, I mean, you bring up a really big problem here. Yeah, so the answer kind of surprised me. The paralegal said, tell them to look around the house for bank statements. I was like, man, that's that's obvious, right? But we're a law firm, you know, like what, what's our answer? They're like, we don't know. We haven't seen them in 20 years either. You know, we don't have any extra info. Yeah. So if they can't find any bank statements, have them start getting the mail. That was our other answer. You'll see what shows up in the mail. And about the third or fourth time that call came in, I started to realize the problem there. So I think the first step with digital assets, it's, it's more simple than what people think, right? You don't have to be internet famous or use all the technology to, to benefit from this, this first level of digital asset planning. So in um, so th there wasn't really a good answer to this until this, this law was passed in 2016. That law that I referenced earlier, Rufata, it defines digital assets as your information that's stored on your behalf electronically. And it says that you can control that information in your estate planning documents. So I got really excited because I was like, finally, this is, this is the way we give a better answer, you know, because the internet and email is not going away. Right. And I saw how people are kind of struggling in between, right? If they're uh, not storing things uh, on paper, how do people figure out your, um, how do people find the paper trail later if it's, if there's no paper? So that's, I'd say that's the first part of digital asset planning. It's really simple. And, and what I do in my estate plans I, uh, the first level in, in the trust, the last one in testament, all powers of attorney, I said that your agents and the people that are in charge can get information about your accounts limited to the type of account, who's the owner, and who's the beneficiary. Because that's, that's the first struggle, you know, right. just figuring out what's out there. And we don't want to give too much information. I think a lot of attorneys miss this digital asset planning. They just put a general clause in their documents. But I think that's both too broad and, and not specific enough. So, yeah, so uh, give me an idea of what you think many other attorneys are doing from a broad concept, from a broad perspective, versus what needs to be included in these documents to make it workable. Yeah. So what so what I've done, I have that general statement because I don't want to give too much authority over digital assets. So that my general statement is really limited meaning I say that they can just get information about the accounts. So just, just an inventory of the accounts. And the problem that solves, you know, you're probably aware of this, Brent, if someone calls your office and says, hey, does, do, do my parents have an account there? You, you can't tell them anything yet, right? You got to figure out who they are. Yep. You know, are. Are they named as a beneficiary on that account? If so, then you could tell them. Is it owned by a trust? then maybe you can tell them if they're the trustee of that trust. Right. But that, that's the challenge that people go through. So if you can't find statements or anything, and you think there's something at a bank, you first have to prove that you have the authority to get that information. Right. So we take that first general approach, and then I have a separate digital asset trust. So when leaving instructions, I think it's important to get really specific. So for email, what I recommend is that clients list their emails, not their work ones because their work owns that, um, but their personal emails, list them and give your trustee the ability to get a list of emails received. It's called the Catalog of Electronic Communications. I use their, their language straight from that act. 
so basically it's like back in the paper days, it's the equivalent of we could see the, the envelopes. You know, you could see the envelopes, but not open and, and see the messages. Right. So that request, it makes it easy for the tech companies to approve, makes it easier because we're not asking for content. Right, and then it's also where I'm. I'm not. Also, I'm not asking my clients to give up too much information. So to clarify that for me, so basically, what 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 you're enabling is is just to see an inventory of of how many messages there are and where they're from, but not the content. Correct. Okay. So, I call them the paper days. Back in the paper days, right? If all the statements were on paper, if something happened to you suddenly. People could start getting your mail, see what type of statements show up. So it's just the same thing in our modern day where they can get, we don't want to rely on that. I want to leave good records. I, I encourage people to leave good records and not rely on that. But at least that's something that's kind of a catch-all. And then the other type of digital assets, maybe this is my, my younger clients more, but um, really it's everyone now. If, if, you're, if you're taking pictures on your phone, I think is the next common thing. Where are they? Where are those pictures, right? Are they on your right. phone or do they back up to the cloud? So if they back up to the iCloud or Google Drive, they, they may expire with you. So that's something that people are starting to catch up on. Unfortunately, it's because they're, they're losing it, right? They're, they're seeing it after the fact, after someone passes away and they go, oh no, they had all the pictures on their phone. How, how do we get those? Hmm. So that's... that's that's a great point. Yeah. So I feel like like one of my most treasured items, I would say, is my my YouTube channel of my kids. It is my my personal one. I'm not, you know, where it's just a way to record family videos and it's an easy way to share them and, and store them. And then in my digital asset trust, it says copy that to my children. Okay. So that way I don't have to store all the videos. My my kids can watch them. It's kind of fun now. They're um, you know teenagers now, and, and some of their friends have found the channel, <laughs> so they uh, kind of tease them. It's a way that their friends can see more information about them. But I, I think a lot of times after someone passes away, you know, money's great, all that, right? We 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 know all the answers for that. But a lot of times, what pe people really miss is those memories and those those human assets. Yeah, like an example I've heard a lot. Um, like if you have a voicemail from someone, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. If you have a, a mm -hmm. voicemail from someone, a friend, and then and then maybe they they pass away. So it's I've got like, a few that have saved actually. Yeah, yeah. so it's like who like it, that's so special. The voice. Here's a good transition into AI. I feel like things are going to get really weird here. So I'm I've been really interested in this AI technology for a lot of things. I don't know if you heard about this, but I saw in the new Apple update I, I haven't gotten into it yet but the new ios update there's a feature where you can record your voice so in case you lose your voice it can act for you i have not seen that either that's interesting and i, I want to talk about that but just this is more from a personal question that i have you mentioned these these photos so hypothetically speaking you know the proverbial truck comes along and takes someone out I've got 57,000 photos and videos on my iCloud account, which I have copied then in Google and I've also got copied on OneDrive. So I've got, it's in three different places. What happens to that stuff if the truck had taken me out last night? So the answer depends, right? That's always the attorney answer, right? But it depends yeah. on those licensing agreements with all those places. 
So it's you now usually their single user license, meaning it's just for for Brent during his life. Yeah. So it gets kind of weird because technically the the license ends upon your death. Now they they do have what's called legacy settings. So the the digital asset planning process. I I have a checklist. Maybe I can you know direct people where to download it. But the the first part is inventory, meaning what things do you care about that you want to live beyond you. The second step. So what I would tell you, Brent. So all the all three places that you mentioned, see if they have what's called legacy settings. I know Apple does now. They just they just barely got it. But you can add what's called leg a legacy contact, which is basically adding a beneficiary to your to all those accounts. You can mm -hmm. say where it goes. So I encourage people to do that. That has the highest priority under the law. The next highest priority would be your digital asset trust. Leave specific instructions. Okay, um, so this would be so. In my case, for example, I have a master password keeper that and then it's auto generated passwords that 20 characters long whatever they are beyond that so you're leaving then that information in terms of how someone accesses that to access everything else like very specific instructions in, in a digital trust uh it, it's more directly to the company it's saying apple okay. i i want you to copy this account Got because it. If, Got it. if you just give someone the password or access to your password manager yeah the problem with that is technically those accounts end upon your life. Okay. And if you if you read those licenses, like no one does, it's always in there telling you not to share your password, right? Yeah. It's like, this is for you only, and this account's for you only, and it's during your life. Now, if you want to share it during your life, that's one thing, right? You know, where I, it's usually not an issue. A lot of people do it, right? They have multiple people access their accounts, but it gets kind of weird when you pass away because technically so does that account. Okay. So you're, that's you're what, definitely informing me on something that I didn't was very blurry for me. So thank you for that. Yeah. So it's important to leave instructions. So, so in your case, all, all those pictures that the first thing would be if, if your loved ones knew how to get in there, which is a lot of times that's the case, you know, where mm -hmm. people are saved that way because they're able to get into the phone and, and then redownload them or, or they have some way in, but I'm I'm hearing more people where they're not able to get in. You know, they mm -hmm. they they their their phone was locked or their computer was locked or they you know they 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 can't get in anymore. So you may lose all those those um th those are the real digital assets. Sometimes I call them the human assets, right? Like memories and, and things like that. So we can preserve those things. Yeah. Okay. Now I interrupted you there where you're making the segue into AI. So, uh, so let's continue on that. Cause I think that's a really, really exciting, exciting aspect of what's happening in our world right now. Yeah. So you saw that AI video I did. I, yes. um, a, a few weeks ago I went on, I, I was called like an AI binge. It's like, all right, like I, I'm going to spend a weekend just like, you know, get as much as I can, you know, want to learn as much about this technology and, and what's possible and, and how to use it. Uh, and it ended up watching some videos and little courses and that, that video I made that the crazy thing about it and what's so cool is I made it almost all with AI. That one where mm -hmm. I had that guy talking. Yeah. I, um, so I, I have an application that I've worked with, with the developer that I use in my, um, my, my law practice and it works on Microsoft Azure. And as you're probably aware of, they bought chat GPT, Microsoft yeah. did. 
So they're opening up some, some AI tools to be used in the Microsoft programs. And that's part of what got me excited, but I don't fully understand the tech side of it. You know, I've, I've worked with the developer on the, on the front end say, Hey, here's what I want it to do. Like how much and how long is this possible? I think I think I've, the only ones that I've been working with have been doing both Google Bard and uh, ChatGPT, and what I've found is these are just purely they're just large language models. So it's kind of like the the best analogy I can think of is this: is if you want to Google search a topic, it will bring up hundreds of different links. Some may be real, some may be not. Some may be really useful. Some could be utter garbage. What the AI program with the, with the LLM models tend to do is they aggregate all of that data, data, good and bad, to craft a very a very normal sounding story, you know, using sort of casual language that, that everyone is used to. So, you know, like as an example, um, I was sitting down, I was fooling around with this over the weekend, actually, with my father-in-law. He's written several uh, books on near-death experiences, about five of them are New York Times bestsellers. And he's like, you know, explain this thing to me, you know, tell me what's going on here. And so this is a topic he knows a lot about. And so we got very drilled down and granular. He's like, well, no, that's not wrong. He goes, this person, the person that's cited here did not have an NDE. They were actually the, the attending physician to that person. That named. So it basically takes all this data and creates in some kind of a crazy fever dream and narrative. Now, I think it's, it's very useful for structure. It's very useful for, for, for building, um, being able to build a storyline. But, but in terms of for your business, I think there's actually a case recently in New York where an attorney, uh, I don't know if it was a criminal case or a civil case, but had cited some examples that he pulled off ChatGPT, but ChatGPT will cite things that don't exist. And so the, 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 opposing, the opposing party realized, realized that re, you know, immediately and the case was essentially thrown out and the question is whether he loses his uh, license to practice or not. I mean, so it's, it's kind of crazy stuff. I mean, what are your, some of your thoughts working with these, some of these different platforms? Yeah, I, I kind of view it as an assistant. Yeah. Like you can't just let it run wild no. and, and just go <laughs> and just trust it. But it's kind of like an assistant that you can use to get you started with a draft of something. Yep. And then from there, you got you, you obviously got to check it. You can't just rely on it. But going back to the video that I made, what, what's cool about it, I, I use ChatGPT and I, um, I paid the extra 20 bucks for the ChatGPT 4. Mm -hmm. And I used it to educate me on it. So on, on what okay. Microsoft Azure has, and then it started, it started telling me things that I didn't understand, you know, like heavy coding stuff. And it's like, no, I'm an attorney. Can you simplify this and, and focus on, on, um, you know, more basics. And then I, I asked it to create a job description for me for the type of programmer that I would need for the application that I have. Okay. So it was like having a conversation with someone you know, that's, you know, smarter than me in a topic and they were able to, you know, teach me. And, um, so I, I had it create that, that video script too. Okay. But, yeah. So I said, okay, you know, create a video script, you know, searching for engineers for this. And I did a few reiterations. I was like, I'll try to make it more, um, entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Then several reiterations saying, you know, add these points, you know, take that out, focus on this. Yeah, do it in the voice of so and so, and yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So it's it's amazing in that way where it's like an assistant. So one of the things I'm working on it's it's my vision and my goal. I, I think we're gonna have it in a few years is like a co-pilot for for estate planning specifically, like a 
uh, AI co-pilot. Like, hey, help me draft a trust for these clients. You know, here here's the scenario. You know what? You know what would you recommend? Yeah. So, and then, you know, boom, it'll spit that out. Just like, um, what's interesting now though is, um, as I meet with my developer, who uh, obviously knows a lot more than I do. So far, the things that I want to do are they may be better with code. You know, if I want to put things into, um. So the, the software we've developed is I, I use it in my estate planning practice. So when we, when we meet with the client, they enter the information in it before, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, kids, assets, that type of information. And then I take that information and, and start designing their estate plan. You know, like if we do a trust, you know, who the trustee is distribution, all, all, all of that. And then the software, um, it it will draft the documents. It's not quite perfect, but I, I have a paralegal that will still go in and do the inputs because I'm mm -hmm. trying to make it, um, one of the nice things about my software is it's designed to be used directly with the clients. So as an attorney, I'm, I'm uh, doing all the inputs right when I'm with the clients. So right. instead of having a lot of different choices that might bog it down, instead I'll just, I'll just type in the notes of what I want to do and then my paralegal will do it. And so you developed the software yourself. Uh, yeah, I've worked with the with the web developer to um, to create this software. And how long have you been working on this? A, a few years now. Yeah. So I've it's created over a thousand estate plans. So that's pretty. Have you have you had any other attorneys reach out to you and want to access that tool? So uh, attorneys are kind of hard to work with. You know this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'll tell you, you know, I will say this as an aside. A great, a, a, when you need a good attorney, anybody will be willing to pay whatever they can for a good attorney when that becomes necessary. And um, this is another great story that I'll, I'll throw out there for you and, and then continue with what you're saying. So my grandfather, when he was uh, much younger, tried to buy a building and hired the cheapest attorney in town that he could possibly get. And the building got bought out from under him. Ended up getting sold a lot later. He won, the, he won this building. He really did. And so he went into the best attorney in town. We're talking 1950s in South Jersey at this point and said, I want to buy this building. And the attorney showed him as what he was going to be charging for this. And my grandfather balked and he said, Mr. Mikosh, he said, you want hamburger? He goes, you, get, you pay the hamburger prices. You want filet? You got to pay, pay the filet prices. He hired the good attorney. He got the building. The rest is history. So, so you get what you pay for, I think, for sure in that space. But can please continue. Yeah. So really... I, I was trying to expand it to other attorneys, but they're so set in their ways. I've just been using it in my own practice. You know, and so instead of trying to um, you know, sell other attorneys on it, it's like I'm just gonna use it to be more efficient in my own practice. Yeah. And that's you know, another part of the journey I've been on the last couple of years. I've I used to have more associate attorneys, but now it's like I um you know, instead of supervising junior attorneys, I, I found that I'd rather practice law more instead of supervise people. Sure. So, so even with junior attorneys, I was still having to do all the hard things, but it was even harder um, stepping in later versus if I just started in the beginning. Right, right. So it's like, all right, it's like, how much can I use technology and uh, a team of people to increase my practice. So that way I'm doing, um, you know, the high value ads, but not spending a lot of time on, um, kind of the mundane, um, the mundane stuff. 
So you mentioned initially when you first got some of those first calls about you know, clients wanting to find their their uh, parents' assets. Two thousand two, I think, was the year you mentioned. When did you really start to recognize that the business of the the legal profession was going to be changing very dramatically? And if you've been at this now for a couple of years in terms of developing your own you know, proprietary system here, you're pretty far ahead of the curve. But w- when did that kind of light flash on for you that said, "Hey, I, if I want to stay in this." profession really effectively for decades to come, I've got to change the way that people currently are doing business. What was there? A, was there a light bulb moment there? I would say even the beginning of my career, that's what got me excited about it. So working in my dad's law firm um, during undergraduate, so during college, that's what I made the decision that I did want to go to law school. But I would say more, more so uh, to get into the business of law, because I feel like lawyers as businesses, they're, they're behind a lot of other mainstream businesses. How so? How do you figure? They're just old and set in their ways. So when I, when I first got out of law school, I had to get, I, I was trying to get the law firm to go paperless. And this was still like, you know, five, 10 years after most of the world had already gone that way. Right. And just, um, I call it like that old school fear-based culture you know, where some attorneys, they, they want people to be uh, scared of them. Uh, sure. I studied business management during, uh, during college. So I always had the idea that I wanted to, um, to get into the business of law. And what I learned in, in regular management, like how other companies work, it's so different from some of the traditions that I've seen in other law firms. Right. Well, I, again, I think that's, um, embracing technology earlier the way that you have, you must have been extremely well positioned when all of a sudden 2020 rolled around. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily. So it, it was still a hard transition for us. I'll, I'll tell you the, before that I was telling, I was trying to encourage people to meet on zoom more. Yeah. And I was telling my team, I was like, even though they think it's weird, just offer it. Like, I, I, I'm like, I just at least want you to say that that's an option. Like they can meet in person or we can do it via video. Um, and no one took that option, right? Pre-2020, like no one took that option. So I, yeah, I was ready for that. Um, one of the things, one of the challenges I, I feel like is I wasn't very good my first Zoom meetings. I didn't have the good teaching materials. Um, the, the very first one I had, it was a guy at home and his kids were running around and loud. It, it was a perfect first one. And I, I kind of blew it, I feel like, because I, I had a hard time keeping his attention. I was like, all right, that's it. I need, I need to get better at the virtual presentation. So I developed, you know, materials that I could use on the screen and, you know, kind of moved all the process digital so much now that even my in-person meetings, I use my laptop, you know, because okay. I have all of our tools are, are digital that way, but that way I can do it both. That way, if they're yeah. real life, virtual, I have a good process either way. Now, what do you think um, the future of, of estate planning for, for your firm specifically, but overall will be? You mentioned, obviously, this virtual AI assistant, but does it go beyond that? Does it go deeper than that? Um, yes and no. I, I feel like you know some people are worried about AI taking their jobs and things like that, but, but you're still going to need a human to run it the way I feel like it, at least the people that... Um, you know, my, the good clients that, that come see me, they, they value my, um, my expertise and time. Um, I, I think a lot of what AI is going to bring, the internet's already brought that. You know, some people are like, you know, they don't want to pay me. They're like, don't you just like 
press a couple of buttons. I'm like, yeah, exactly. But you're paying me because I know which buttons to push. Right. Like you can go get the, all this for free online. Like it's all, you can go get a whole estate plan for free, but you know, the reason you're coming to me or the reason, you know, that I, I think the humans will still win out is because we're going to use the technology just to emphasize our skills. I, I agree with that. I think it's going to be an inc- a powerful tool to, to leverage what those skills are. And ultimately at the bottom of this is someone that, uh, that really embraces technology that thinks that uh, as do you, it's going to inc- create incredible efficiencies. Still both you and I are in people businesses and not every meeting has to be in person. Not everything has to be one-on-one. You can do a lot of it this way digitally, but, uh, but ultimately people, people want to know that, 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 you, that you're there, that you care about them, that you know who they are besides just what the numbers might be on a financial statement or, or, what the dictates might be of a trust. They want to have some confidence that that um, you're really going to know who they are and what it is that, that they're trying to accomplish both now and perhaps beyond the grave in terms of, you know, continuing to to direct those assets to things and people that they care about. So I, I I'm, I'm with you in the sense that I don't find it um, intimidating. I want to understand it better for sure, which is one of the reasons I want to have this conversation, have this conversation with you. But I, I think it's something that like anything is going to become a very powerful tool in the future. So yeah, I'm re- as I say, I'm really excited. I, I feel like it's going to drop off a lot of people, right, that aren't willing to make the change. So I feel like it's it's a chance to level up just by learning these tools and, and getting there. So I completely agree with you. Now, let me ask you this. If someone um, is, I'm going to ask you two questions to wrap up here. First, if someone wants to learn more about you and, and what you do, how do they find you? I think go to my YouTube channel, which is Rylus Law on YouTube. Or also my website, which is ridelesslaw.com. So it's R-I-L-U-S-L-A-W. One of the tools I have on there on my website is a free last will and testament. I got a place where I make it, I take away all the excuses. I got a template they can download and they they can write out their own will so they can have something in place. That's, 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 uh, everybody that has not done that should for sure pop on and do that. Definitely. And, um, you know, and I guess last question is if listeners out there might be thinking, you know what, because you actually struck my nerves here in terms of the digital assets. I hadn't really thought about, about really all those memories. What are some of the things that are out there or what, what, what's something they should be considering if they have not addressed their estate plan in a while? Um, I'd say look at pictures and videos, right? Like, do you have a plan for those? Where, where are you keeping them? Do you have a plan to transfer those? And that could be as easy as going into legacy settings and setting up someone to transfer your account to for those things. Um, the estate planning is really important. I, I, I joke and say, if you don't like your family, it's important. Or if you're not in a traditional situation, you know, where maybe you're, you're not married, right? You have a significant other for you know, 20 years, but there's no legal relationship, you know, or you have children that you have no relationship with. So that's when it's really important to put it in writing what you want, because the default beneficiaries probably don't meet your wishes. True. And I also think that if, if you have people in your lives that, that, that you care about, um, you owe it to them to make sure they're not left with, with confusion and a mess, because it'll be something that that'll be incredibly difficult for people to deal with anyway. And those that are left behind should have as clear a roadmap as feasibly possible for all these assets, both virtual and otherwise. So I think that uh, you're, you're absolutely bringing up some great points there. 
Uh, Rylas, I really want to thank you so much. And I know you get, you've given me a lot to think about. And thanks for taking some time out of your day to join me. Uh, thanks for having me. I always love uh, talking about technology and some of those topics. So, so thank you. Gentlemen, this has been fantastic. Brent, you and I have talked about AI before. Um, and uh, Rylas, I don't know if you've ever heard of CRISP, uh, but CRISP is an AI um, software. I've been using it and I'm just curious. It's funny because Brent, as you mentioned, this is something that will assist people, but it's not the full answer because it doesn't get things quite right. So as an example, uh, crisp is, it removes all background noise, but that's great. And it's the best I've ever seen. But the other thing it does is it creates summaries, detailed summaries. And so from one of the conversations I had with uh, an, a, another client that I was working with, it had 19 points in the summary. And one of it was when we were talking about crisp, I was telling them about crisp and what it does. And here's what it wrote about itself. It said AI software. The participants talked about an AI software called CRISP that can cancel background noise during recordings. They discussed its features, including generating summaries and action item lists for free as part of the service. I thought that was pretty, pretty good, right? It wrote it really well, except for it misspelled its own name. <laughs> well, I'll so, say, along those lines, so we had our, you know, Raymond James Financial is obviously the, the mothership for me. And we had our national conference about three, four weeks ago, and, and uh, our CEO was up there. And they were worked. They were basically, you know, going over some implementations that we're going to be using for different AI platforms. And they brought ChatGPT up, and ChatGPT completely gave a totally incorrect bio for both our CEO for the company and everything else. And it basically, again, it amalgamated a lot of data that was close but not quite the real thing. So it's it's uh, it's 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 I think it's really fantastic um, technology that that's definitely going to take us take us to a much more efficient place in the future, but it has to be managed. It's got to be managed by people. And, and Rylas, I think you've done a heck of a job doing that in your practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. Well, um, I, I keep saying the future is going to get weird with, um, you know, these brain implants. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be the beta, I'm not going to be the beta tester for that personally. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want that first gen one. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you got to read all the licensing to update your own brain software. Hey, yeah. Guys, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. And of course, our last thank you will always go to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review. This actually does help others find the show. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, and SIPC. 
Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors, LLC, is not a broker slash dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.